What a privilege it is to partake of the Lord's Supper, to be remembered of what Jesus has done for us. Well, this morning, dear friends, I invite you to open your scriptures as we approach God's Word um, for, the pre- for the sake of proclaiming it in our midst. Um, I encourage you to open your scripture to the book of Acts, chapter 20. We'll be reading, I'll be reading from verse 17 to verse um, 38. Uh, if you uh, did not bring a Bible this morning, I encourage you to find a Bible provided in the chair in front of you on page number 929. Here is the word of the Lord as we continue our sermon series um, going through the book of Acts. This is the word of the Lord. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of the repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to the God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, 
that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of his word. Oh Lord, in our human abilities, we do not have the capacity to understand your truth without being assisted by your Spirit. Therefore, we ask, would you let your Holy Spirit give us a double portion of your Spirit this morning? Pray that you would use these words, that they may be your truth and not mine. Pray that you would speak to our hearts. In the name of Christ, I pray, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, this is indeed the last speech that Paul will give to the um, leaders of the church in Ephesus. In the book of Acts, we have seen uh, this book having a number of long sermons that were actually written out for us. We, we get some pretty good outlines of what these sermons were, what, what the apostles have preached in, in the early days of the church. But with the exception of one... All these sermons in the book of Acts are given to non-believers, to non-Christians, either to Jews or to Gentiles who needed to hear the message about God's forgiveness through Jesus. But the exception to that is here. The, the exception to, that, to those sermons that are given primarily to, to non-Christians who need to hear about God, the exception to that is here in our passage this is the only um, explicit speech or sermonette, if you will, um, of the Apostle Paul that is given to Christians. And as a matter of fact, it's given to Christian leaders. There are, uh, there's something very precious about this passage because God shows us how the church is to be led and how it's to be shepherded and how it's to be cared for. This speech includes a summary or a, a picture of Paul's pastoral care as he, um, as he pastored this church in Ephesus. And now he is discharging and giving the charge now to the, to the elders of the church in Ephesus. We see here what he thought about the church. We see in this passage what he taught them. We see in this passage what he will call these church leaders to do. There are many rich themes in this passage. There are themes about the grace of God, about the kingdom of God, about the redemption um, of, of God through his blood, about repentance and faith, about the church of God and how he intends to build it, about the danger of false teachers, about the need of vigilance, about the need to run the race, about our final inheritance. All these things are sort of are clustered here as in a, in a table of contents. And friends, there's, there's so much richness in this passage that we will actually spend the next four weeks preaching on the same text. So I just want to give you a heads up. We'll be in the same passage for the next, at least for the next four weeks. Um, and uh, we want to be diving in and understanding what is it about the church and about how God intends the church to be displaying itself, to, to operate and to, to live together. As verse 17 makes it clear, 
Paul gives a speech to the elders of the church of Ephesus. They have been the one uh, charged with the task of leading the church, feeding the church, caring for the church, protecting the church. So in many ways, um, this text is about the leadership of the church, of who they are and what they should do. So some of you may be wondering, why then, why should members care about this passage? If you are a member of the church, or if you are just a visitor, and this morning you're just visiting, you are a Christian, but you don't have your own church, why should you listen and care about, um, about this passage? Well, first of all, this text tells us how God has determined the authority structures in a church, humanly speaking. Who should lead the church, and who are the leaders of the church? Um, second of all, this text is of great importance for Christians to know what responsibility God has given to the leaders of their churches. If someone is here this morning, you're visiting, you do not have a church that you belong to, this actually puts, uh, puts you to, to, to think about and consider carefully who are the people in your life over whom God has given this responsibility. Because it's important to know that God has called certain men qualified by Scripture to have spiritual oversight over your soul. So if you're not a, a, if you're not a member of any church or you, you're not engaged in, 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 a, in a congregation and, and in a regular way as, as a member, uh, you want to think about this passage. Wow, if God put people to care for the souls of believers, of Christians, who are the people over whom or whom God has called to watch over me? You see how that it's important? So this, this, this passage about church leadership is important even for you if you're not a church member, if you're not a member of a congregation. Uh, but then, then for, for those who are members of the congregation, um, it's important for us to realize what are the responsibilities God has given to, these, to the leaders. Um, the church is not called to define what their leaders are supposed to do. God defines their job description through the Scripture. The church is called to listen to what God defines as a job description of church leaders. A third reason why we should listen to this passage is that this text is important because God may be calling from our own midst men who should be rising up to shepherd this congregation. And we should be careful and know what God has called these shepherds to do. If we're going to affirm them, if we're going to call them, if we're going to do our human part in, in this process of calling church leaders to, to, to rise up and, and, and shepherd God's flock, we should know what they should be supposed, supposed to do according to God's ways. I pray that God would be calling from among us men who would serve as lay shepherds of this congregation. A church without a plurality of shepherds is an impoverished church. So I pray, and I've been praying to the Lord, that he would, um, he would raise up men among us who would do this responsibility alongside me. If God is going to answer this prayer, we must be ready and know what to look for. So it's important for us as Christians to hear what God said about the leadership of the church. But as we look at, at the broad theme of, of, of pastoral care in the church, as this passage will show, there are a few foundations that we must first go through 
before we arrive at the, at the discussion and at the theme of the leadership of the church. And over the next four weeks, we will look at the following themes from this passage. The first one is what a Christian church is. What a Christian church is. Next week, if the Lord does not return or does not take us home, we will look at what the distinct message of the Christian church is. What the distinct message of the Christian church is. Then three weeks from now, um, we will look at the Christian church and how the Christian church should be led. And then in the fourth week, we will look at the responsibilities um, of, of the spiritual leaders of the church, of elders and overseers. This morning, let's look at the first of these four themes, what a Christian church is. If we looked at the entirety of Scripture, there would be a number of answers that we would be pulling out and we would talk about. But this morning, from this passage... There are three foundational points that remind us about a Christian church and what it is. These three foundational points all come from one verse in our passage. And it's probably the verse that is the center of the entire speech. That's why it's the first one we are addressing in this four-week subset of sermons on, the, on, on this theme. That's why I've, I've chosen to do an entire sermon on really on one verse of this larger text. And that verse is verse 28. Verse 28. Three things about what a church is. In verse 28, Paul gives a first of the two commandments to the elders, to the overseers. And look at verse 28, how he commands them. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. The first thing, the first foundational thing about what a church is, what a Christian church is, it belongs to God. It belongs to God. When Paul speaks about the charge given to these elders to care for the church, notice how he describes it. The church of God. What a simple, what a simple truth. And yet so profound. The church belongs to God. It does not belong to the leaders of these churches. Unlike the shepherds who typically own the sheep in most cases, unless they're hired shepherds, unlike the physical shepherds, the shepherds of the church, the spiritual shepherds of the church, they don't own the sheep. They don't own the church. It doesn't belong to them, nor does it belong to any influential people in the church nor does it belong to the members of the church. It belongs to God. Sometimes leaders or members of the church may have this subtle or even unconscious thought that a church is their church. Not, not by, by means of being a member of the church, but, but by the fact that they, they somehow think that they have a right to say how things should be done in the church because it's their church. They've been there the longest, or they've had more influence for whatever reason, and they feel it's, it's their church. Such an impression grows, especially in places where an established group of people may have exercised influence for a long time. They develop a country club mentality of leadership. So they think they can call the shots on what the church should do or be, or they think they should tell the other leaders what they should be doing. Um, sometimes, and, and I, I hear this about other members talking about other churches, 
uh, about certain churches in their past or um, in, in various situations that, yeah, there's, there's a, a country club mentality and you couldn't integrate, you couldn't really get involved, you couldn't really be a part of the congregation and there's a, a select group of people who unofficially sort of ran the church. Sometimes you hear that kind of description. It's not a good description, friends. It's not a good description. Um, sometimes members who have been at church for a long time um, have grown in their own traditions over time. And when some of those traditions get to be changed, they may feel that the church is no longer their church because it has changed so much. Friends, the church belongs to God, and He may choose to do whatever He pleases with His church. We are invited to participate in it, we are invited to be a part of it. We're invited to labor in it. We're invited to care for it. But it is ultimately not ours. We should not find our identity or worth in the church or in the history of the church. When a church calls men to step up and lead the church, leaders must remember this truth. They are led or they're called to lead something that is not theirs. Not, nor something that belongs to the people, but something that belongs to God. Spiritual shepherds in particular need to remember this, but also members need to remember this. If, uh, if that's the case that neither Christian leaders nor the members of the church can call the shots on how the church should operate, God has the right, the exclusive right, of how the church should operate. And all aspects of the life of the church should come ultimately under the scrutiny of God's Word. Blessed, blessed, blessed is the church where members and their leaders have cultivated this holy submission to be willing to reform themselves to God's Word. Blessed. Sometimes people say, well, we've always done things this way, and it worked. Why change it? Have you, have you ever heard that phrase? Now, I'm sure you have not heard it here. I'm sure it's only elsewhere. But have you, that, that change, that phrase is so common. Well, the issue is not what worked or what produced results or what we have been used to. If the church belongs to God, it is God's ways that we must always consider. And we should always be looking to see if there are areas where we can be more faithful to what God has said about the church. And we should be looking critically in our own past and see is there a place or time in our own history where we may have put the emphasis on the wrong thing. We may have steered off a little bit in this area and we need to consider coming back and reconsidering certain things. The church where members and their leaders are fully aware that they belong to God will take more interest in what God says rather than what their own traditions have been saying. On the other side, the church where the people and the leaders feel that the church belongs to them will be more attached to human traditions and human schemes and will have little interest in hearing afresh God's word about the church. Friends, the church should desire to have members and shepherds who are convinced of the simple truth. Such a simple truth. The church belongs 
to God. That's point number one. I'm sure it's not a truth that just shocks you. This is a truth that you have heard before. You know this truth. I'm not saying to you anything new, but I pray that the Holy Spirit might renew these convictions in us. Second truth, what a Christian church is, it is purchased by God's own blood. It is purchased by God's own blood. Why does the church belong to God in the first place and not to us? Because God purchased it. Because God bought it. Look again at verse 28. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, there's a number of things about this expression that puzzle, puzzles us here. The first one is, how can we talk about God having his own blood, since God is spirit? Well, someone called this phrase a, a notion without parallel in the New Testament. In what way can we talk about God's own blood, since God is a spirit? Well, because God is spirit, in order for him to purchase, to purchase a church, he had to send his son to be incarnate. Now think about that. In order for God to be able to purchase the church, he actually had to become incarnate so that he, so that th he might have blood, his own blood, or the blood of his own. And then his blood had to be, had to be shed. That's why the, in order for God to, to purchase the church, not only did he have to become incarnate, but the Lord Jesus had to shed his blood for us. And that's what happened when the Roman soldier pierced the spear in the side of Jesus. And there was blood with water flowing from his side. It was through the shedding of his blood that the church of God was purchased. But there's a second dilemma. There's a second dilemma. The fact that God had to purchase anything should give us some trouble. Why is it that the God who created all things, the God who spoke all things into being, the God who would just say, let it be, and there was. This God, the God who is able to speak to the dead, and they come to life. This God, with that kind of power, now has to purchase. It's a dilemma. Why? Why couldn't God just say, you know what, I'm going to start a new race of people and I'm just going to speak them into existence. I'm just going to start fresh, clean, no baggage, no past, no history. Just start fresh. Why not that way? Why did God have to purchase? Well, friends, because the church is a community of sinners who have been redeemed. When God thought of making up the church, he made it of sinners who had to be rescued. Who had to be purchased, whom God had to obtain at a price. And the price which he paid, not gold, 
not silver, not diamonds, not land, not oil, not stocks. The price he had to pay was his own blood. His own blood. The God who would speak all things into existence had to purchase the church. Why? Because indeed of our sin. We have been held hostages to the kingdom of darkness. We have been held hostages to the dominion of darkness, to the dominion of sin and rebellion. Actually, in our own nature, our own desires have been so corrupted to the point that we like remaining in those. We like remaining under that dominion. Because of our condition of being enslaved, held hostage to the dominion of darkness, God had to purchase us. God had to provide a ransom price. This is what the church is made of. Former slaves to sin. Former prisoners to the kingdom of darkness. Oh, friends, that's why the church is such a big deal. That's why the church belongs to God, not to us, because God purchased it with his own blood. So the shedding of, of Christ's blood is not just the basis of proclaiming the gospel. The shedding of Christ's blood is not just the basis of proclaiming the forgiveness which God now grants through his son Jesus, but the shedding of the blood of Christ is also the basis for the formation of the church. It's the basis for the sustaining and the maintaining of the church. The only reason why the Christian church can exist is because God purchased it with his own blood. Apart from that purchase, we would not be a Christian church. Now, we may still gather here this morning. We may still gather as a religious organization. We may still gather as a, as a, as a social endeavor. We may still even have the name church on our plaque. We may call ourselves a church. But apart from the blood of the Lord Jesus, by which we, we have been purchased, we would not be a Christian gospel church. Today, there are many who might still hold on to the name church. There are many who might still hold on to the, the facade of religious activity, but they have not been purchased by the blood of Christ. Because they're, what keeps them together as a church is not the blood of Jesus. What made them be a church is not the blood of Jesus. It's simply human religious efforts to do religious activity apart from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the, this understanding of the church as belonging to God because he was purchased by his own blood has several key applications for us. First of all, for church leaders. They're called to lead with utmost care and diligence for the flock. Because that which they are called to care for has been purchased at a very expensive price. I love what Richard Baxter says addressing pastors he, uh, and shepherds. He says, oh, let, then, let us hear these arguments of Christ whenever we feel ourselves grow dull and careless. Were they worth, did I die for these souls and will thou not look after them? Were they worth my blood, and are they not worthy of thy labor? Did I come from heaven to earth to seek and to save that which was lost, and will 
thou not go next door or street or village to seek them? Have I done and suffered so much for their salvation, and was I willing to make thee a fellow worker with me? And wilt thou refuse to do that little which lieth upon thy hands? So Baxter continues, Every time we look upon our congregation, let us believingly remember that they are the purchase of Christ's blood, and therefore should be regarded by us with the deepest interest and the utmost tender affection. Love that quote. But that is not just for pastors and shepherds and elders and overseers. This challenge can be applied to every member. If you, if you, or every Christian, if you think church is something that you can treat lightly, be warned. Something that costs God his own blood cannot be treated lightly by us. Dear Christian, and let me speak to those who perhaps are not yet connected to any church. Um, dear Christian, I want to challenge you. Why would we not be comfortable to join and be committed to that which was purchased by the blood of Jesus? Why would we not? And Paul in his text was speaking not about universal church in general, but about the actual local church in Ephesus, which those elders were called to lead. They were called to care an actual local church. Why would a Christian not want to belong to that which belongs to God? Or why, what does it mean for him to belong to God, yet he refuses to belong to that which was purchased by God's own blood? You see how these arguments, these, these questions provoke us to think about what we actually believe about the church. Is the church belonging to God and purchased by his own blood? And if so, we should not treat it negligently. For existing, for existing members, this reminder of the church as being purchased by God's own blood should deepen our fountain of love for all the saints, even for those whom we may feel at times less likely and able to love as Christ loved us. If Christ purchased them with his blood, that fact alone should seal the deal for us to have our greatest affection for them. How often, as Christians, we sometimes choose whom we love more than others, even among Christians, right? Especially those whom we may not have as much in common, especially those who might step on our toes, especially those who, with whom we might have disagreements. It's hard to love. And, and we are reminded if the church belongs to God and it was purchased by the blood of Christ, Remember, those whom God calls us to love, that means every one of us, each other. That should be enough to love them by the mere remembrance that Christ died for them and purchased them with his blood. The Christian church is made spiritually only of those whom Christ purchased with his blood or whom God purchased with his blood. The visible church on earth is a mixed bag. The visible church on earth is a mixed bag. In the church on earth, there are often people who become members of the church, but they have not yet been purchased by the blood of Christ. How do I know that from this passage? Because Paul warns the elders of the church that after his departure, ravaged wolves will come, and, and from within their own midst will rise up men who will lead others astray. The visible church is a mixed bag. 
Some indeed have been purchased, hopefully most have been purchased by the blood of Christ, but not all. That's a reality. So we're speaking here about the spiritual church, spiritually speaking. That's why as your pastor, I have often been warning us of the danger of those who profess to be Christians but are not showing it. They're not, they're not true Christians, by, by, at least by the way they live, they don't show it. Those who belong to the church of God have been indeed purchased by His blood. The church belongs to God. The church was purchased by God's blood. Lastly, a Christian church is led by Spirit-appointed overseers. The church, a Christian church is led by Spirit-appointed overseers. Look again at verse 28. Pay attention, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Just because the church belongs to God, just because the church was purchased with God's own blood, does not mean that there's no need for human leaders to carry out the responsibilities for leading and caring for the congregation. They are. That's why the selection of the elders or overseers, the recruitment and empowering of the overseers is done by God the Holy Spirit. It is God who sets up the elders to oversee the well-being of a particular church. Now, while churches may call a pastor to come and shepherd them, while a church may call other lay leaders, lay shepherds to to lead them and, and, and guide them and care for them within a congregation, the church must recognize that the authority given to the spiritual leaders does not come from the church. The authority given to the spiritual leaders over the church comes from the Lord Jesus, from God himself and from the Holy Spirit. Now, the trust is given from the church, but the authority to lead is not given from the church. It's given from God. This means that the, lay, that the leaders of the church take their direction not from the church, but from God through prayer and focus on his word. Also, church leadership is not chosen purely in a democratic fashion. Members are called to affirm not simply what they want, but they're called to affirm and ask God to show them whom God wants to bring in. And those whom God has been preparing, the church is called to affirm. There's nothing worse than for a church to elect leaders to lead them whom the Holy Spirit has not made them overseers. There's nothing more dangerous for the church to elect leaders or, or somehow give the trust to lay people who are not called by the church to lead spiritually, but for whatever reason they have influence in the church, it's dangerous for a church to be giving that kind of trust to people who have not been made by the Holy Spirit overseers over that church. I'll speak more about this topic in a later sermon, but for now it's just enough to say that the divine nature of the church is seen by this fact that its human leadership is appointed by God, divinely. It's divinely made, not just humanly appointed. I love what uh, Eckhart Schnabel says about the identity of the church in this passage is fundamentally linked with God, with Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit. Did you notice in this one verse, you have a Trinitarian framework. All three members of the Trinity are actively engaged in the existence and in the operation of the church. God the Father owns it. God the Son, His blood purchased it. God the Holy Spirit leads it by appointing 
the human leaders who are called to oversee in a very practical, very flesh and blood necessities. Christian church is not just a human institution, friends. It's not just a human organization. It's a divine reality. An existence and activity is divinely orchestrated and sustained. It belongs to God. It was purchased by God with his own blood. It is led by spirit-appointed overseers. May we see these simple truths, profound truths. May these continue to work in our own hearts as we consider how God designed the church to be. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that in your word, even in one verse, you give us so much richness. You give us so much truth about what the church is supposed to be. Father, thank you for reminding us of simple truths and yet necessary truths for us to, to, to remember of what we are. Lord, help us to live in such a way that indeed your glory is manifested among us, that your glory is manifested not just in the face of Jesus Christ, but also in the face of the church, that we would act and be and work and love and care in such a way that indeed your glory among us would be manifest, that your presence among us would be visible, that it would be seen that indeed the Lord, the church of God that meets at Park Hills Baptist Church indeed belongs to God. Lord, that, let that be true of us. I pray in the name of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.